everybody, Steve Wynn here. So glad to be with you right now. Man, there's so many things going on in the country right now and so many things going on in our own lives. What a time we live in. Isn't God good? I kind of want to talk a little bit about that right now because I want to talk about prophesying through fruitfulness. You'd say, wait a minute, wait a minute. I'm not sure I believe in prophecy. Well, you better get with it because it's one of the spiritual gifts. It's it's rampant throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament. God periodically loves to shine strong through individuals in what they say, how they act, what they do. In fact, in the New Testament, it kind of shifts from an Old Testament paradigm to, you know, where you got to go to the prophet and get the word of the Lord. Well, now we have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us in the New Testament. And there's nothing wrong with seeking out a prophet or somebody who has a special prophetic word into something you have. I believe in that. I do that. But guess what? The prophetic ability is within you already. Paul even said, I wish that you all would prophesy. So I wish that you all would speak in tongues and even more that you would prophesy. That's what he said. And so there's there's an emphasis even in Paul's life in a New Testament context This is a part of the energy of the New Testament church right up to 2023. The energy of the New Testament church is walking in the Spirit, hearing His voice, and and becoming a prophetic word of the Lord through your life. I know you know this, but don't you know that that worship, worship is not just lifting your hands on Sunday or clapping your hands or dancing. Or even singing. I mean, that is worship. I mean, I love it. I love the garment of praise for his spirit of heaviness. And every time I get heaviness, you know, like Paul and Silas in prison, they begin to sing hymns to the Lord and boom, jailhouse begin to rock. You know, I love that. I love rocking my world through worship, rocking my world through praise. And do you know what? The Bible also speaks that our lives our fragrance of Christ, our lives, our worship, our lives is is our sacrifice unto God. We're not putting the knife to some lamb or some bull. We're putting our knife to our own flesh. (laughs) We're crucifying the flesh. We're walking in an offering unto the Lord. The Bible says, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed into the renewing of your mind, which is your reasonable service of worship. So, Jesus himself said that the Father is seeking for worshipers who will worship him in spirit and truth. Those who know how the Spirit moves. See, some of you got to get the oil in your lamp. Your lamp runs dry sometimes. You get, Bible says, go buy oil. Buy oil because when the door closes, the bridegroom, the door closes on the bride and the bridegroom, you will not be allowed in. In other words, there's times when open doors come where your oil has to be filled so you can be sustained during the time of the moment of what God is doing. So you got to be a spirit person, oil, water, spirit, oil, the oil of God, the wind of God, the waves of the spirit of God. You got to be in a place where you understand that I am a person of the spirit. I have been born of the spirit. That's what being born again is all about. I'm born of the Spirit. And get this, I operate in the gifts of the Spirit, not just the nine that are mentioned in 1 Corinthians, but every gifting that comes to you spiritually is from God, announced, proclaimed, 
animated in you. That gift is the desire of God is that the Holy Spirit might quicken your mortal body, quicken your mortal body to move in the power of the Spirit of God. It says, as if the Spirit is pleading through you, or as if God was pleading through you, you become the hand of God. You become the hand that, uh, I really, in, in many ways, I, you're the glove. I mean, you're the glove that God's hand puts on. He allows us to participate in heaven on earth, the power of the eternal on earth through the gifts of the Spirit. And by the way, you do not have to be perfect to get a gift. A gift is a gift. You don't earn it. You don't earn the gifts that come with the Holy Spirit. You give your life. You become born again. You're born of the Spirit. And now the Spirit becomes the ruler of your life to your soul and your emotions, your mind, your will, subjected to the Holy Spirit. And, and through that, your soul governs and animates your very body. That your senses now are subjected to the Spirit of God. And you become what the Bible says over and over through the epistles. You become led of the Spirit, or as we call today, Spirit-led. Spirit-led. You're a Spirit-led person. And Spirit-led people are moving in the gifts of the Spirit, these free gifts that have been given by God. You're moving in those gifts, but then also, what's the ultimate goal? It's the second nine. First nine are the gifts. Second, that sounds like golfing, doesn't it? First nine, second nine. The first nine is pretty easy. You just got to move into grace, and I've got the gifts, and it's going powerful. The second nine, though, you bear fruit. You bear fruit. I talked to a professional golfer. I asked him, I said, is the first nine or the second nine more important? Is the first nine or second nine more difficult? He said, well, it depends. You know, second nine, you're a little more tired, but second nine, you're also got the rhythm of the game. And I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting. That's a spiritual principle right there. So the first nine, you're loosening up. The gifts of the Spirit help loosen you up and help you learn how the Spirit moves. The little nuances, I love how the Holy Spirit moves. He is like wind. He is like fire. And he can set a, a moment on fire like you've never seen before. And he also, in a very nuanced way, can just be like the rising tide that moves and slowly leaks into your soul and begins to bring the flood of God in your soul until your ankle deep, your knee deep, your thigh deep, and yay, you are swimming in the river of God. Woo! I like that. So you learn that. I've been a Christian now for, I don't know, 58 years, I guess. I'm 66 years old. I came to the Lord when I was eight. I didn't know anything. I was a young little Baptist boy, you know, and been to Baptist Sunday school, but my mother was Pentecostal. Oh, wow. She did things that were spirit-led. She understood the moving of the Spirit. She got special knowledge about what's going on in other people's lives that she didn't know naturally. It was the Holy Spirit, like a word of knowledge, words of wisdom. She didn't know what to do. She didn't have the education to make big, strong decisions. But boy, God gave her wisdom to make some amazing decisions in her life and to stand strong as an intercessor, as a prophetic intercessor before the Lord. I love that about my mother. God bless her. She's in heaven dancing right now somewhere. And uh, so you learn the Spirit. If you walk in the Spirit, you learn the Spirit. If you are still born in the Spirit, if you're born but you're not animated by the Spirit of God, you never live the life of Christ. You never live in a Spirit-led life. You can, you can fill that with religion, but it will never bring about the fruit of the Spirit, which is 
love, joy, and peace. Love, joy, and peace will never be fully embraced by you because you are not in the spirit. You've bought the wrong process, the wrong product, the wrong end. You bought into religion rather than buying into Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit and his precious loving Father. But when you give yourself fully to the Holy Spirit, whoa, things begin to change. And all of a sudden now you settle down into things of the Spirit and you say things like, don't worry, God has it under control. You cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. I mean, you walk a different way. You're able to say no where before you couldn't say no. You were saying yes to everything. You learn to have spiritual boundaries of morality that this is not acceptable in my life anymore. As it says in Philippians, the Lord gives you the will and the do. I've talked about this before in my podcast, one of my favorite topics, but the things you just can't get your will to do (laughs) and you can't activate what you really want to do. Paul even said he the things some things I do I don't want to do and some things I don't want to do I do. And so we have that problem but the power of the spirit of God will consume your will and consume your energy. He will energize you to have the will and accomplish everything that he has set apart for your destiny and for your identity and what he's shaped you to be. So you yield your life to the spirit of God. Crucify the flesh. Lay down your life for the purposes of God. Take on the Spirit of Christ and let Christ, let the Holy Spirit begin to shape you. He knows Jesus better than anybody in the universe. And he will begin to shape your life. He's going to calm you down. He's going to take off the extreme edges of hype. Woo! Woo! He'll trim those down a little bit to whoa, whoa. He'll take out the dreads of like, oh, no, no, to like, yeah, well, it's a difficult day. He pulls off the edges. He brings you to that divine center and you learn to walk in the spirit and nothing will rattle that person that is situated on the word of God by the power of Jesus Christ and is learning the movement of the spirit like the fire by night and the cloud by day. Israel learned to follow it. When it, when it stopped, they stop. When the spirit stops, you stop. When the spirit moves, you move. There's an old song we sang probably about 15, 20 years ago that said, uh, where you go, I go, where you stay, I stay. Where you go, I go, what you do, I do. I forget what it says now, <laughs> it's, but it's basically, I, I am now subjected to the Spirit of God. I will go with Him. I will stop. I will do. I will act. I'm learning to, to follow the Father. Do only that. Oh, this is a good verse. Do only that which you see the Father doing. That is being led of the Spirit. When you do that, you cross into the the turn. It's the turn, what golf terms are. When you make the turn, which is from the first nine to the second nine, you take the turn, you usually stop, you pause a minute. You go in, you use the restroom, you grab a hot dog, whatever it is. You know, you get that Coke or whatever, and you get back out there. Yeah, we got another nine. The back nine in the spirit is the fruit of the spirit. You've learned so much now. You've Your roots have gone deep. You are activated. You are animated in God. Now the tree has branched out. And guess what begins to way down these branches are the fruit of the spirit of God, love, joy, peace, and the other six that I can't think of right this minute. 
self-control, kindness. I mean, it all, it all begins to just come naturally. It's a part of who you are now. Why? Because you have operated in the spirit for years and it takes sometimes years. You plant a tree or you plant a seed. It's going to take a long time before you're eating the fruit. So we got to get new believers a little bit of grace here. They love the gifts. It's exciting. I mean, even the 70 return saying, woo, woo, even demons are cast out in your name. Jesus said, well, don't just rejoice in that, but rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. He takes them back to the solid word of God, the firmitas, the absolute foundation of the faith is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. We build our house upon that rock. Actually, he builds it with us and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Mighty warriors are being birthed. Mighty warriors are rising up and now fruit is coming out of their lives where the where literally the world can take sanctuary underneath the tree of a godly believer. Your life becomes a sanctuary to the world. Your life becomes a, a respite out of the heat of the day that is withering every other people. In the times we're in our culture, America, right now, we need the Holy Spirit like never before because fruit will come out on the tree. And not only will people come to you as a refuge, they will come to the country, they will flood into your life, and you will be there to say, go ahead, eat and drink of the tree of life, for the Lord has made me a life in Jesus Christ. And they eat of the fruit of kindness. They eat of the fruit of a holy life that has understood self-control, not in some kind of legalistic way to hope that God will be happy with me, but in a way that pleases the Father because you know I want to do what pleases Him. That is the desire and move of the Spirit. So let's pick the top three, love, joy, and peace. Love comes into you in a powerful way. It shapes you. Now your words are beginning to shift. You're actually speaking the truth in love. Man, it's hard to do that in the natural. It takes a lot of sessions and you got to hire a coach and pay thousands of dollars. Help me learn a new language. Help me know how to communicate. I'm telling you, time in the spirit over years and you learn to love people. Through that time, the plow comes into the soil of your heart and breaks it up. A little bit of manure is thrown in there from some fellow Christians helping along the way. <laughs> they throw some manure in there, which actually helps you grow better and gives you what they call sweet soil. Soil sweet, man. It's good. And the seed takes root. You begin to grow. Ooh, I feel the growth coming in my life. The Spirit of God is animating my life right now. And you begin to grow up in the Spirit of God. You begin to bear fruit. So not only are they going to be able to come under the refuge of the strength of who you are, but they're literally going to be able to reach up into the branches of your life and taste and see that the Lord is good. Now, I want to just, I want to close with probably what I should have started with, but uh, I love the life of Joseph. Joseph in the Old Testament, son of Jacob. I love his story because my life has reflected so much around it. But Psalm 105 actually gives a great summary of his life. And I'll read just a little section of it right here. Psalm 105 says this about Joseph. It says, Moreover, the Lord called a famine in the land. That troubles me. I don't really know what to do with that. But God actually called something that was horrible into the land in order to provide something for Israel, a famine. He destroyed all the provision of bread, it says in verse 16. But he sent a man before him. Now, now, if you if you know the story of Joseph and you're reading this in the Psalm, this is Psalm, I think it's a Psalm of David. 
So David's singing this out in a field somewhere. The Lord sent a man before them named Joseph who was sold as a slave. I mean, it sounds very exciting. I mean, wow, to be sent from God. I mean, you imagine if we called people up to go on a mission trip and we laid hands on them and said, okay, here's what you're going to experience. We're sending them off. Everyone stretch out your hand toward this person. We're going to pray for them. Maybe they're going to the Philippines or going to Africa or something like that on a mission trip. And we would pray over them and say something like this. We would say, okay, you're going to be sold into slavery. You're going to be bound by your feet. You're going to be betrayed by your brothers. You're going to be thrown into a pit. You're going to be grabbed by the Midianites. Midianites are going to take you to Egypt, which is an enemy of Israel. You're going to get to Egypt. You're going to be bop, bop by a guy, and the, the guy's wife is, is, is going to have uh, uh, desires for you that's going to cause problems in your life, and you're going to end up in prison, and you're only 17 years old, but this is going to be the next 13 years. I mean, you would say, that's a false prophet. I don't want to hear it. No, no, no. I mean, I love the way God sees this in hindsight. The Lord looks through the through David's song and says, oh yeah, by the way, God sent a man before them. It sounds like Joseph is being sent. He was being betrayed by his brothers, separated from his father and his dear brother Benjamin and thrown into a pit for 13 years of not very good situations. Is that what being sent by God looks like? Well, apparently here it does. They hurt his feet with, fetter, or his feet with fetters and he was laid in irons until the time that his word came to pass and the word of the Lord tested him. Okay, that, that word is going to do something to you. And in, in Joseph's case, it took 13 years. So Joseph had a gift. The gift was interpretation of dreams. It's a good gift, especially in ancient times. A lot of people had dreams and didn't know what to do with them. And so <laughs> poor Joseph, he's actually in prison. There's two guys that were in Pharaoh's house that were thrown into prison. The Bible doesn't give all the details, but his butler and his baker were thrown into prison. There they are with, David, with uh, Joseph. And uh, they have dreams one night. And uh, the dream is kind of a cryptic dream, but Joseph interprets it. And he says, well, okay, uh, the butler is going to get sprung from here. You're not going to be here very long. You, the favor is going to take you out of the prison. You're going to be okay. The baker, unfortunately, you're going to lose your head. <laughs> and it's like, what? And it, it comes to pass quickly. And so they're like, wow. Well, the baker wasn't like anything because he was dead. But the butler, butler's like, wow, that's an amazing gift. You know, I mean, it doesn't say that in scripture, but you got to imagine because he was rescued out of prison. You'd think he would remember if I was Joseph on, on the way, the butler's way out the door, he probably said something like, hey, 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 dude, remember me. Man, when you go back to Pharaoh, like, here, I'm in prison, man. Tell him about your good friend. Well, guess what? He forgets. Two years go by. And then Pharaoh has this epic dream about empires and, and you know, it's about uh, uh, fatted calves and skinny calves and then, and then fatted sheaves and skinny sheaves and eating one another up and not growing. And it's a horrible dream. It tormented him. And he says, I need someone to interpret the dream. I need someone to interpret the dream. I cannot sleep. It was a horrible nightmare. And the butler says, hey, you know, I just remembered. Yeah, wow. This is like deja vu. I remember there was a young Hebrew lad in prison, and he interpreted that uh, you were going to spring me. Remember Pharaoh? He actually says this. Remember Pharaoh when you put a couple of us in prison? 
that time when you were really mad? I mean, I don't know if that was the smartest thing to say, but he did it anyway. You remember when that happened? And uh, yeah, uh, anyway, while I was there, I, there was this young Hebrew prophet kind of guy, and he interpreted a dream I had, and sure enough, it happened just the way he said it would. And so Pharaoh says, get the man here. you know. So he brings him in there. You know the story. Brings him before him. Joseph interprets this epic dream about seven years of plenty, abundance, and then seven years of famine. And this is fascinating because you got to be ready sometimes, not every time, but sometimes when you get a word like that, you may be the one held responsible to lean into that word. And Joseph was held responsible to lean into that word. So Pharaoh says, go ahead and manage this word. Go out and you have all authority in the land, second only to Pharaoh, second only to the throne. Everywhere you go, people will recognize you as if it's Pharaoh. Do what you need to do. And so, so he did some serious stuff. He charged, I think, a 20% tax on everything that was the fruitful, seven fruitful years, and began to store everything away in bins and got ready for the years. And during then the seven famine years, uh, of course, all over the land is desperate famine started off slow. People coming to Egypt to get food, and they charged them for that food. So Egypt was making tons of money. And uh, not only that, but they had food they sold to people that came from all over the world because they were desperate. And in that time, a medium-sized Jewish family was sent to Egypt to find food, and it turns out to be his brother's. And we know the story, and actually Psalm 105 sums it up this way. When the word came the past, the word tested him. The king sent and released him, the rule of the people, let him go. He made him lord over his house and ruler over his possessions, to bind his princes, princes at his pleasure, and to teach his elders wisdom. What a powerful thing. Joseph goes in a day from the prison to the palace, then gets put in this governing position, which he had. And in that governing position, Pharaoh gave him the daughter of one of the key sorcerers that they had, priest, Egyptian sorcerer-type priest, gave him a daughter for a wife, which is fascinating to me. This Hebrew man of God, I don't know where his heart was, what was going on, but he took it. Some people, I did read about this in the commentaries, and they said that it may have been because he was raised out of prison. Anyone who's raised at that kind of height to the role that he had would have respect for what Pharaoh requested to a certain degree. doesn't mean he bowed down and worshiped uh, false gods, but actually the gods that uh, uh, Egypt worshiped were not the gods that Joseph worshiped, but there was a similar kind of uh, effect in the way that they worshiped. And so Joseph was able to fit into that culturally and actually raise up two sons that were born to him, Manasseh and Ephraim. Now, here's what I want to tell you about that. Whatever you go through in your life, and you may be in the worst time. I mean, you've had this great word that God's going to use you in great ways, and, and you turn into 13 years of desperation and difficulty and challenge, and you're in the land of Egypt, surrounded by sinful stuff and surrounded by your enemies and God gives you a word to help them out, which actually ultimately helps out your own family. Of course, you remember the restoration of Joseph with his brothers and his, his dad was amazing. And he took them through a little series of things that he had them do. At the end, though, he wept. He was broken. He restored. They went back and got Jacob, brought him in. And that's how the Jews ended up in Egypt. And of course, over a 400-year period, Moses had to be raised up to get him back out of Egypt. But anyway, the beginnings of that was Joseph. 
And the beginnings of that was him being sold by his brothers and 13 years of difficulty. But it's interesting, his first two children that were born of a woman who was the daughter of a sorcerer-priest, somehow she probably came to Yahweh because of Joseph's influence, because their first sons are named prophetically Manasseh and Ephraim. Here's what Manasseh means. The Lord, it says it right in Scripture in Genesis 41, 51, the Lord has caused me to forget the pain of my childhood. What was that? Well, that was him prophesying the healing that he had received through his son Manasseh, that he's healing that even in this land, God's caused him to forget about all the difficulties. What he did know is that God was about to restore all of that back to him. And what he did know that his father Jacob would be there to lay hands on these two sons and bless them with the Father's blessing. He didn't do all that. Even without seeing it, though, he begins to move in a realm where he's prophesying through these children's names, God has caused me to be healed, to forget me, forget the things of the, of the difficulties of my past. I'm telling you, God wants to bring something in your life. Even though you're in a land of affliction, you're in a land where you feel like you're lost, you're in a desert, whatever, this is the time to give birth. Maybe not to a physical son or daughter, but there's something that you need to do. You continue as, as if you're in the land that God brought you into. And if you do that and you are faithful in that, God will heal your soul. He will heal you of the wounds. He'll heal you of the hurt. It says that even in Isaiah 51. It says that if you lend to the poor, that he will turn your midnight into noonday. I mean, I just love the whole, the whole deal around Isaiah 51. It's this... You know, you sow and you're faithful and you do what is right and God will heal you. And I'm telling you, God's going to heal you through things that you do. He will heal you and the fruit of the Spirit will come forth in your life. So he did that. He used his gifts. He used his gifts. He used his sons. He prophesied. He interpreted dreams. He believed for something that was better, that my, my past is forgiven. And then the second son, Ephraim, he says, this is what Ephraim means, Cause me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It's about the, the great authority that God gave him, the riches that God gave him, the restoration ultimately that did not happen until after this, the restoration of his brothers and his family and, and taking care of them during the time of famine and literally rescuing all of civilization around Egypt at that given time. What an amazing word. It is the Spirit of God. And you've gone through a lot of difficulties. I could tell you my story, but it'd be too boring. We go through times when we doubt, we wonder, and everything else. But if you press through and you start naming things that are, you speak those things, as I said, Romans, which are not as though they were. In the midst of that, one conversation with one person, one one dinner with a certain individual, one connection with a person can change your life forever. One interpretation, one thing that you have that they need can change your life, which is the interpretation of the dream, which is the understanding of the torment in their life. Right now in America, especially, if you become an interpreter of people's angst 
and confusion and wonderment and desire, and you speak that prophetically over their lives, you are meant to be a hope dealer, not a dope dealer, a hope dealer. Everywhere you go, you speak things that edify and build them up. You use the gifts of the Spirit because you are a man and woman of the Spirit, and as you walk in the Spirit, you will bear spiritual fruit in your life. And that's what he says in Ephraim. Cause me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Wow. Not only him personally, his entire family, his entire nation of Israel, all of Egypt, one man submitted to the difficulties, the challenge, the misunderstanding, the prison time, everything else that can be turned around in moments in a time of fruitfulness. When your mind finally shifts and you say something to your brothers like this, what what men intended for evil, God brought about for good. When you're in that place, you've, you've gone through the turn in the nine. You've gone from the front nine of moving into gifts. You're still going to move in gifts the rest of your life because you're a spirit man. You're a spirit woman. But now you are bearing the fruits of the spirit. Hey, thank you for coming and listening today, being a part of this. God bless you. Had a good time. Email me at istevewitt at gmail.com. Visit me at bethelcleveland.com. We have messages up every week when I preach at our local churches here in Cleveland, Ohio. They might be helpful to you, might be fruitful to you, want to see you grow in Jesus Christ. God bless. Have a good week. And remember, maintain your hope. And may 2023 be a year of flourishing for you. (laughs) 